Replaced by rookie Greg Toller. Here's Bush on first and 10 from the Cardinals 46. He stays on his feet. Spectacular run by Bush. And Reggie Bush takes it all the way for another Saints touchdown. And welcome to episode number 39 of the Sportscasters. It is August 30th, 2011. We are live from Buffalo, New York. Fall is here. Football is days away if you're a college football fan. Only a week and a couple days if you're waiting for the those that pay to play. Don? Yes. How excited are you for football and its return we've been talking about it for weeks and now it's finally here too excited i think it's this is uh i actually get into it as one of my things but this is a hard time of the year because the meaningless preseason games become even more meaningless for the fourth week and then it's another week off so it's two weeks now of just waiting a lot of my fantasy teams are picked and yeah, the waiting can get pretty tedious, and so my name is Steve Bennett, and that was my host, Don Russ. Again, it's episode 39 of the Sportscasters. A little bit of a slower week compared to last week today. We do have a really fantastic interview with Kenny Albert and also Chris Burke from SportsIllustrated.com. But I think that I didn't want to do too much today because I think some of the stuff that we did last week it's still really good and, and should really still be listened to if you haven't had the chance, especially anytime you get ready to draft a fantasy team. I think there's no reason to not check out episode 38 beforehand. It's an interview that I did with Michael Fabiano, the NFL.com fantasy guru over there. Yep. And I thought we did a great job covering a bunch of different fantasy-related things, and I actually re-listened to it before a draft that I did on Sunday just as a little bit of extra preparation. So don't be, don't be afraid to check out episode 38 after you listen to episode 39. Also last week we did somewhat of a kind of NFL, college football, kind of all football preview show type of thing. And we had Don Banks and Stuart Mandel and Andrew Lawrence and Sports Illustrated. We talked about a bunch of different teams and a bunch of different things football related. So I didn't want to do too much today because I didn't want those episodes to be completely buried just yet. And as Don said, as we're kind of waiting here for the games to begin, I think this episode, is, along with those other two, will kind of play as a really nice trilogy to get you pumped up for the season. Next week, we have some really good plans, and I'll talk to you about those at the end of the show. But as what we're going to do today, we're going to do three things in a second, and we're going to have an interview with Kenny Albert. Of course, Kenny's on the number two team at Fox. He's been there for 18 years calling NFL football games, believe it or not. And he also does New York Rangers telecasts. He does all kinds of different things. He's the only broadcaster right now that does all four pro North American sports leagues. Wow. So he's the only guy doing a little bit of basketball, a little bit of hockey, a little bit of baseball, a little bit of football. It's impressive. So we'll have Kenny on. We're going to do five on fantasy today, some more stuff, as I know people are still drafting. And then we're going to do an interview with Chris Burke. Chris does the Audible's blog at si.com, kind of rounds out their coverage. 
And, you know, we've kind of talked to just about everyone at SI. We've had Peter King. We've had Andrew Lawrence. We've had Don Banks. So I think Chris is a really good interview because he kind of rounds all that out. He kind of compliments those guys. And he can do the same here on this show. And then we're going to close the pick four. But before we can do any of that, we got to get started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, my first thing today, I'm going to start us off. Creditors around the world were jumping for joy last night with the news of <laughs> Michael Vick receiving a six-year, $100 million contract from the Philadelphia Eagles. If you recall, when Michael Vick was released from jail, he had to file a bankruptcy protection because he didn't receive any more money from the Atlanta Falcons once he was sentenced to jail. His first $100 million contract, this being his second, which is a rarity. Right. Yeah, it might be the only time ever, right? Could be. I know it's, it's not many others, if any, have had the chance to sign two $600 million contracts. But Michael Vick did last night, and like I said, the creditors who have been waiting, that includes his agent. So his agent, when he was negotiating this deal, was thinking, all right, I'm going to get some of my money that's deferred. Also, the Atlanta Falcons were a creditor. Uh, the Royal Bank of Canada is a creditor. So all these people are very happy that Michael Vick has signed this contract. And I believe you have kind of a different angle on it. Yeah. Everyone in the news has kind of announced that this is a six-year, $100 million contract. Well, our... Uh at profootballtalk.com, Mike Florio is a lawyer, so he kind of is the type of guy that will take these contracts and pick them apart. And what he has found and kind of released today is that the sixth year of the contract is voided if at any point in the previous five years he plays 35% of the snaps. So basically the sixth year is almost guaranteed to be off the table. So when realistically the contract is five years for $80 million and $35.5 million guaranteed. Still nothing to sneeze at, but it's strange that they worded it that way. I don't know if it's a uh, public relations thing, like to make him the, only, like the first two-time $100 million player. And you know what's strangest about it is I heard all kinds of news last night from people saying there's not a lot of fluff at the end of the contract, you know, because a lot of NFL contracts sound a lot bigger than they actual are. Right, right. Like, you know, there's a lot of money in the back that's never going to get paid like out. Like Hainsworth when he signed with the Redskins. Right. And so, and I had been hearing about how there's very little fluff in this deal, but it seems like Florio found the fluff. Yeah, it's all, apparently and, the last year was all fluff. Yeah, so... Regardless, it's a good payday for Michael Vick, and we're going to talk with Chris Burke later about kind of how polarizing Vic is and right. ESPN kind of did this their they released their NFL preview issue and it's almost a Michael Vick preview issue there's like five different articles in that magazine about Vic and one of them actually went as far as to say what if Michael Vick was white 
Yeah, that's and uh, that's that strange. I think ESPN released an article about that, maybe saying he was unfairly judged. But the article wasn't released by a typical ESPN writer. I think it was like a guest blogger type thing. Yeah, like, and it went by kind of a strange name. It wasn't like Joe Collins. It was like The Fox or something. Right. Like something weird. They've done that in the past with a story regarding Michael Vick. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was a guitarist, like Richie Sambora. Somebody wrote about how Vick should never be allowed to play because it's... And it's I think the most, the most shocking thing about that article is that they went as far as to do an illustration with Michael Vick as a white man. Right. And uh, Chris there, Burke and I will get into that later. There's been a lot of funny things. If you look for them on the internet, you can find them where uh, people would have said, what if Michael Vick was an actual eagle? And like people posted <laughs> pictures of him looking like an eagle. And uh, So, yeah, people have posted what a little bit of Michael fun at that. What if Michael Vick was born in Bangladesh? Right, right. How would his life be different? Right. All right, my number two thing. Despite being mostly useless in New Orleans the past few seasons, the Carolina Panthers found Jeremy Shockey to be quite useful in the team cafeteria. (laughs) Uh, ESPN.com, NFC South blogger Pat... Oh, man, I'm going to butcher this name. I think it's Yasinkis. Yasinkis? Yasinkis. Pat Yasinkis. We'll cut this part. Right. Uh, (laughs) uh, The the NFC South blogger on ESPN, Pat. Yeah. uh, He has reported that Jeremy Shockey saved fellow tight end Ben Hartsock from choking to death. let Let me start this over. The agent for tight end Ben Hartsock reported this. Okay. And... I guess Pat re-reported it. Gotcha. And what happened is is that Ben was choking on a piece of pork tenderloin. It became lodged in his throat. One teammate tried to give him the Heimlich maneuver and failed. And then suddenly, Shockey hit the guy really hard in the back, and out came the meat. Nice. So... <laughs> Uh, another thing Ben said to his agent was that Chucky came over and gave me the Heimlich maneuver and saved my life. He was in good spirits, and he's really thankful for Chucky. That's in, a quote from the from the agent. So kind of an unbelievable story. I was kind of thinking of the poster that he famously hangs in restaurants. And <laughs> are you choking? Yeah. No, step number one: ask the victim. I was wondering if Chucky asked the victim, "Are you choking?" Yeah, yeah. He must have. I bet the first guy who failed. Didn't ask if he was choking, and it kind of threw the whole thing into a tailspin. Yeah, that's why it didn't work. Right. So then Shockey corrected that wrong, and next thing you know, here comes a flying piece of pork tenderloin. Yep, you got to follow all the instructions. My second thing this week, uh, like I touched on a little bit already, this is the longest week for me as far as the pro sports year goes. I know college, like you said, is coming up, but this feels a lot like the the stretch when you're a little kid and you get down to the last two weeks before Christmas and it just seems to drag and drag. I've got a few football teams already drafted and I've got some that's still to come, so that'll be still be fun, but really nothing's going to change as far as football goes. Uh, my bold prediction even has to do with how little I think the first teams are going to do this week. Uh, baseball, like you pointed out last week, is kind of playing meaningless games now because most of the races are over. A lot of teams are just playing out the stretch there for sure. Right, and... Yeah, so like I said, the only thing I really have right now is uh, fantasy football, and my cheat sheet isn't probably going to change much in two weeks because nobody's going to get injured because nobody's going to play, and if anybody does, it'll be something freakish in a in a practice or something. But yeah, I can't wait for these two weeks to be over, and uh, there's college too, like you right. said. There is college football. There's some really great college, college football games, yeah. this weekend, and we're going to talk about that during pick four. 
But just to kind of say what you're saying, it's not exactly as far off as you think. We're sitting here on Tuesday, August 30th. When we come, when we reconvene next Tuesday, we're going to be two days away. That's right. From the, the start there is of the, the game season. Thursday. That's right. I forgot. I'm you know, so leaving that out. We have that game, and then it's only a couple days until everyone plays on September 11th, the ten-year uh, anniversary. Speaking of that, from a fantasy perspective, just not to get into too much about it because we will later. But do you ever draft a guy knowing they're going to play in that third? Like, say all things being equal, you're trying having a hard time picking between two guys. Would you take a guy playing in that Thursday game just to have somebody go? You know what? Maybe not that specific game, but I have thought about, like, a lot of times the Super Bowl champion is the team that's on national TV the most. Right. So, like you're saying, if you're looking for some reason to pick one guy or another, I know in the past I have thought, hey, this guy played on a Super Bowl championship team this Somebody year. Somebody gets to watch year. him. Somebody gets to watch him a ton. Yep. That's not maybe the reason that I pick a player, but it might be the reason that I pick one guy instead of another. Right. Like you said, kind like of a, coin like flip. a little right. coin flick tiebreaker. But uh, my third thing today is that this weekend I will be traveling to Alpine Valley, Wisconsin, unfortunately, without you. I know. It saddens me. I know. Uh, but Pearl Jam 20 is this weekend, a two-day festival just outside of Chicago to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Pearl Jam. And the reason I bring it up here is because AJ Delirio is among the guests to RSVP for this event on Facebook. And uh, when he was on episode 29 of the Sportscasters, he mentioned that Deadspin would have a role in this event. So I wanted to remind everyone that if you're interested in finding out what's going on this weekend for Pearl Jam 20, you can go to the usual spots like the Skyscrape and Two Feet Thick and PearlJam.com. But you could also check out Deadspin because it sounds like they have some really cool plans associated with Pearl Jam 20. So uh, make sure you check that out. And I will try to track down AJ when I am there and just, you know, just to meet another friend of the podcast. Right. I wonder if I'll be in the mood to look at that stuff or I'll just have to avoid it because I'll be too bummed I'm not there. We'll see. My third thing uh, has nothing to do with sports, has nothing to do with Deadspin. This is a little insight into me as a person. Uh, my dad can fix just about anything. He's a real do-it-yourselfer guy, uh, loves Home Depot and Lowe's and all those Harbor Freight stores. And you can take my man card away if you would like. But it took me 30 years, but I can finally say with some amount of confidence that I could, on my own, change my oil and my brakes. <laughs> uh, basically, that's my way of saying uh, thanks to my dad for helping me out. I had actually both of my cars needed oil changes and brake jobs. So uh, together with my dad, we changed that stuff in his garage. And like I said, thanks for uh, keep trying to teach me who I'm not totally worthless when it comes to mechanical stuff. I just, I've never bothered to learn and he keeps trying to teach me and some of this stuff is stuck. And I think this is one of the things that finally stuck. I can change my own oil. I feel like I could explain the process of changing the oil. Right. But I wouldn't be confident enough to do it myself. Well, yeah, it's not brain. Cause I mean, you pull the, you pull the plug out, you let it drain into right. the pan. Yep. You put the plug back up put the new stuff in and change the filter. That's basically what you do, right? Right. Well, you change the filter, then you put the new stuff in. Otherwise, well, yeah, it would be all right. Right, right obviously. <laughs> but, I mean, I think I get the basic process, and I, I could write a how to it. Right. But I don't know if I would trust myself to do it. I would be waiting three miles down the road for the car to blow up. <laughs> Part of the problem is I don't have any 
tools, really. And my dad's super organized. He has tools everywhere, and he knows exactly where everything is. So makes it real easy to do it that way. I got to get some tools on my own, I guess. I got a house now, so. Well, you know, both of our dads have spent time on the show. Yep. And both of our dads are probably much smarter than we are. <laughs> That's probably true, too. Uh, but your dad especially, I would be so intimidated to take on a project like that with him because I would feel like just an idiot. Oh, he knows I'm an idiot, so that helps, too. You know, it's like, it's could you hand me the pliers? Like, I would guarantee to give him the wrench, I feel like. Right, we've done, like... because <laughs> well, it's, it's intimidating. Right, we've done, like, drywall work and stuff, and typically my job is, like, uh, to clean up the, the mess we make after yeah. sanding and everything. So, yeah, he knows I'm an idiot. Well, he the just worst uh, is, bears with me. The worst for me is, like, my dad knows I'm an idiot, and I don't feel embarrassed in front of my dad. But Tammy's dad is a lot like your your dad. I mean, he's been, yeah, that's a, his job. He's been a drywaller for 30 years. Yeah. And I feel like the biggest idiot in this one time, this is kind of a funny story. We, 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 were, we just moved into our house. And we were trying to put our bed together, and we just couldn't do it. So we called her dad, and her dad came over, and he was there for 30 seconds. <laughs> he just like click, and the bed was put together. Yep. And I wet myself in the corner. <laughs> All right, so that's it for three things this week. Like I said, Really excited about the next guest. If you only listen to one thing, sportscasters related this week, please listen to this. It's an interview with Kenny Albert. And I want to preface it by saying that we're at the mercy of Skype when we record these interviews. We sure are. And Skype is an absolutely fantastic piece of technology. And 99% of the time, it works great. Yep. When it doesn't work great is when we have our best guests. (laughs) It's almost like Skype waits for us to book really great guests and then it attacks us. But when we book like The Ed, who is a fine guest, don't get me wrong. Right. It's flawless. Flawless. Crystal clear, yeah. So I am basically saying that Kenny and I did have a few little technical difficulties and – the interview doesn't sound quite as good as I would want it to. Because when it comes to this, Don will tell you, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I want everything to be perfect. And right. I have a standard in mind that I'm trying to reach for this show. And I don't know if we quite reached it with the Kenny Albert interview. With that said, there's no reason you can't listen to it and completely enjoy it. The content is Right. Great. And 90% of the people would probably say, it sounds great to me. Right. But to me, it could have been better, and I want to apologize to everyone for that. But we are at the mercy sometimes of the technology that's here. Right. We don't want to exactly ask Kenny to do it over or anything like that. Right. So So we we take what we can get from Skype, and we are, I think, very close to getting a (laughs) T3 line and an ISDN cable and some other things like that that should vastly improve the quality of everything that we do. Absolutely. But in the meantime, forget the technical stuff and just sit back, relax, and enjoy an interview with Kenny Albert. And we'll be back after that with Five on Fantasy. Our next guest is from New York City, New York, and is a graduate of New York University. He has been broadcasting, writing, and covering sports since he was in diapers. At age 14, he became the official statistician for New York Rangers games on the radio. From 1981 to 1986, he covered high school sports for the Port Washington News. 
While at NYU, he worked in the sports department at WNYU Radio. He has called hockey games for the Baltimore Skipjacks, Washington Capitals, the NHL on ESPN2, NHL Radio, the NHL on Fox, the New York Rangers, and the last three Winter Olympics. Last spring, he called NHL playoff games for the television network Versus. Since 1994, he has called NFL football games for Fox, and since 2007, he has worked on the network's second broadcast team with Daryl Johnson and Tony Saragusa. He is the only sportscaster who currently does play-by-play for all four major North American professional sports league. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Mr. Kenny Albert. How are you doing today, Kenny? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we really appreciate having you. It's a really uh, big thrill for us. And, you know, I think one question that you probably get a lot is, you know, what what are some of the, the favorite games that you've ever announced? And before I ask you that question, like many others have, I think it's there's something interesting here is that two of the biggest moments in my sports life as a fan, you've been you've called the game, uh, or at least I assume you do in one instance, and that was a Rangers and Sabres playoff game from a few years ago, and I think you probably would have been on the radio mic that night. I'm not certain about that, but I'm gonna, I guess, ask you if you were or not. But a couple of years ago, the Sabres were. I'm from Buffalo. The Sabres were the President's Trophy team that year, number one team all regular season. And it looked like the Rangers were going to put them to their back against the wall. I was in the building, and I'm not sure who it was. Someone had scored kind of a long wrist shot goal to make it one nothing with about three minutes left. And the Rangers were looking to take a 3-2 to two lead. And if the three games in a row they had won in the series then at that point, it would have been 3-2. to two. And Chris Drury scored a goal of 7.7 seconds to go to tie it. And then Maximum Finneganov scored in overtime. Did you call that game on the Rangers radio network? I did. You're absolutely right. That was a memorable series. Uh, all of the games were, were real exciting. And uh, one of the games at MSG went to double overtime. Uh, I'm sure you'll remember Michael Rosaval scored for the Rangers to end that one. Uh, but that game five was very memorable. Uh, the Rangers did score late. And then... Uh, as you said, Chris Drury, who would sign with the Rangers, uh, you know, the following summer, uh, tied the game with under 10 seconds left, and then uh, Max Finneganoff did score in overtime. So, uh, you know, although the result was, uh, you know, not uh, to the Rangers' liking, it was definitely a memorable game and a very memorable series. Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget one big thing that set that goal up was the Rangers had iced the puck with about right, 19 right. seconds to go, so they couldn't bring their best center out. And the Sabres had a chance to get set. And, you know, I think the call on our end was Rick Jenneret saying, who else, who else, Chris Drury. And there was 19,000 people in the building, but I think probably 8,000 of them had left. And there was like a party in the plaza on the outside where there was about 10,000 people. So it was a weird thing where some people were kind of caught in the middle there. And the jury goal happened, and I always say this, I've said it many times on this show, I think it's one of the greatest moments in Sabres history. And even though the Sabres didn't go on to winning the Cup that year, and like you said, jury, uh, jury did end up leaving and going to New York. And it's interesting to talk about it with you today, because he had just we just talked last week about how he has retired and ended really an incredible career. What do you think went wrong for him in New York? Why didn't Why didn't it come together after that July 1st when they picked up Drury and Gomez and everything looked so positive. What happened there that it just didn't seem to quite click? Well, I think, you know, there were probably a number of things that went into it. Um, you know, Chris and Scott Gomez 
did sign with the Rangers during that, uh, you know, same summer, same day. And, um, you know, it didn't really work out with Gomez, uh, but they did wind up trading him to Montreal. And uh, not only did they free up money uh, to sign Marion Gaverick, but they also got uh, Ryan McDonough back in that deal, who's turned into a, a terrific uh, young defenseman. Uh, they also picked up Chris Higgins in the trade, who wound up uh, getting traded along with Ole, uh, or I should say for Ole Oaken and, and Brandon Prust. So uh, two key members of the current Rangers, uh, Prust and McDonough, were a byproduct of, of the Goldman signing, if you, if you, uh, you know, look at what happened uh, in the following years. As far as Chris Drury, you know, he's such a great guy and uh, returned home to the New York area, grew up in Connecticut, and signed a big contract, and I'm sure he felt you know, a lot of pressure playing here in New York, coming home and, and being named captain uh, prior to his second season. And, uh, you know, he, he did all the little things throughout his Ranger career. Uh, he won face-offs. He killed penalties. He blocked shots. You know, all the intangibles. The offensive numbers, you know, weren't there for sure. And, uh, you know, he did score 37 goals in his last year with the Sabres, but, uh, you know, didn't even come close to those offensive numbers here in New York. So I'm sure that weighed on him a little bit. Uh, had somewhat of a resurgence, uh, you know, a year and a half ago during the Olympics in Vancouver. He was a key member of that U.S. team, which won the silver medal. And I think, you know, injuries, unfortunately, played a big role. Uh, suffered, you know, numerous injuries over the last two seasons. Uh, the broken wrist this year and, and his knees, uh, you know, just didn't really hold up well. So I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Rick Janrett's call. You know, who else but Chris Drury, you know, he earned the nickname Captain Clutch. Uh, throughout his athletic career, you know, you can go back to the Little League World Series in, in the late 80s, uh, his days at, at BU winning the Hobie Baker Award, uh, you know, having such success uh, in the NCAA tournament during his collegiate days, winning a Stanley Cup uh, with Colorado and, and having great success with the Sabres. So it was a terrific career, unfortunately did not end, you know, as he would have liked, but uh, uh, certainly gave us all with the Rangers and was a terrific captain. One more question about Chris Jury, and then we'll kind of move on to football. But I wonder if Chris Jury maybe doesn't get enough credit for the development of Ryan Callahan. Um, I kind of see, have noticed the development of Callahan over the last couple of years. He's from Rochester, New York, which is really close to here, Buffalo, New York, right down the road. And it seems like maybe one thing that Chris Jury's legacy in New York won't be easily remembered for, but should be is the development of Callahan. I know they worked real close in the Olympics and really clicked together there and, and played together in New York. Am I overstating that, or do you think that Chris Drury was a really big influence in the development of Ryan Callahan's career? No, I don't think you're overstating at all. I think absolutely. You know, as you mentioned, Ryan grew up in the Rochester area, and I'm sure, you know, watched Chris Drury as a saber, uh, you know, during his younger days, and then I uh, had the opportunity to play with him not only in New York for the last four years, but on that U.S. Olympic team. So uh, I don't think you're understanding it at all. I think when when fans and even media members, uh, you know, try to describe Ryan Callahan's game, he's often described as a younger Chris Drury. So, you know, maybe he didn't have the success, you know, as far as winning like Chris did, you know, like I mentioned with the Little League World Series and uh, in college and uh, you know, having won a Stanley Cup in Colorado, but, uh, you know, hopefully some of that will come. But uh, Callahan was also a key member of that U.S. Olympic team, and I think Drury, uh, you know, leading the way probably had a lot to do with it. You've called the last three uh, Olympic hockey tournaments, and, you know, as a fan, I, I just love watching them. 
Do you think it would be a mistake if the NHL decides not to go to Russia to play in the next Olympics, or do you think that they've gotten everything they can out of this as nothing will be as perfect as last time, you know, getting the U.S. and Canada gold medal game after the U.S. had won the first time and the Zach Parise goal to tie it? Do you think that they've gotten everything they can out of that, or do you think it's worth another trip to Russia? I think it's definitely worth another trip, and as you said, I've been very fortunate to have been involved in the last three in, in Salt Lake City and then uh, Torino and then Vancouver. And uh, I think the bottom line is the players want to go. The players, you know, especially the Europeans, but uh, the North Americans as well, they cherish that opportunity to represent their country for those two weeks. You know, if you talk to an Alex Ovechkin or, you know, Yaramir Yager, you know, any of those guys, uh, you can really sense the importance of, of what it means to them to try and win that Olympic gold medal. And, you know, fortunately for, for the sport in North America, two of the last three Olympics have come down to the USA and Canada, uh, you know, which it did in, in Salt Lake in 02 and Vancouver in 010. And we had a terrific gold medal game between Sweden and Finland in 06 as well when, when Henrik Lundqvist and, and the Swedes took the gold. So I think it is very important to those guys. Uh, you know, there's been some talk about the fact that it is in Sochi, Russia. And, you know, as far as television, the games will not be at ideal times here in North America. But uh, when push comes to shove, you know, I think it's great to see the best in the sport compete. You know, back 30 years ago, Lake Placid, 1980, you know, one of the things that made that a miracle on ice was the fact that uh, the American players were not professionals. They were collegiate players for the most part and a couple of minor league players, but no NHL players. And they beat a professional team from the Soviet Union. Uh, but now, in all sports, you see the best of the best uh, go to the Olympics. And, you know, you look at the NBA players through the years and, uh, you know, some of the other sports as well, the tennis players. So, um, you know, I, I would certainly be disappointed if the NHL players did not go. And I think, uh, uh, you know, the number one thing to keep in mind is that the, the players uh, do want to go. So um, I'd be disappointed if, if uh, it reverted back to, uh, you know, what we used to see two or three decades ago. You have such a unique position in the United States as a broadcaster because you wear so many different hats, whether it be broadcasting baseball for Fox, whether it be doing the football games, which I want to talk about in a second, whether it be uh, calling NHL playoff games for versus. It, ju it just seems like you do so many different things. Is there any hat that you wear that you enjoy more than another? Is there... Is there something you really, really enjoy doing, or is it just your work in general that excites you? I really enjoy all of it. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm ever going to work, you know, even though it is a lot of work to prepare for the games and all the travel involved. Uh, but to me, it's fun work. Um, you know, right now I'm preparing for two games this week. I'm working a Redskins-Tampa Bay preseason game on Thursday, which is a local broadcast in Washington, um, and then a Fox baseball game in, in St. Louis on Saturday. So, to me, the preparation is almost as fun as, as the actual games. And, uh, you know, as far as one over the other, uh, I'm very lucky that, I, that I've been able to uh, be involved in so many different sports. Growing up, I played hockey, um, was, was certainly partial to hockey, but, but I loved the others. Uh, but having been involved in, uh, you know, the NFL now, this is year 18, believe it or not. I started with Fox back in 94. There's something so special about 1 o'clock on Sunday when that ball is kicked off. And I love doing baseball, and I've had the chance to fill in on some basketball as well. So um, I guess my, my stock answer is always that it's like asking somebody with four kids 
which kid they like better. And <laughs> I guess some people might answer the question, some might not. But uh, I really, I really do love them all. And and getting back to your prior question about favorite events, you know, I know that Ranger Buffalo series sticks out in your mind. Um, I wasn't working for the Rangers yet, but I did have the opportunity to call the '94 Stanley Cup Finals for NHL Radio, and did that in '95 as well. So, you know, those would certainly be the uh, the, the the biggest hockey moments, along with the Olympics. Um, in football, uh, our crew with with Daryl Johnston and Tony Saragusa, we've worked playoff games the last four years. Um, also worked some college games for Fox. There was a Notre Dame uh, LSU Sugar Bowl. I worked with Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw, so that was. Uh, certainly memorable. And on the baseball side, probably more so than any games I worked, uh, three times I, I worked the locker room, the post-game celebration at Yankee Stadium in 03, 04, and 09, and uh, got to do the interviews with, with the Yankees in 03 and 09 after the ALCS and with the Red Sox in 04. So uh, those moments definitely stand out as well. You mentioned uh, you've been doing the NFL games on Fox for 18 years, and I know everyone is... It seems like there's a little bit more juice than even normal to get ready for this football season, maybe because of the way the winter went. But I know I'm looking forward to it. And you are in an interesting position because you're with Daryl Johnston, who's also a Western New Yorker, as we, this has come up quite a bit, it seems like, you and your relationship with certain Western New Yorkers. But you also have Tony Saragusa, who isn't in the booth but on the field. How, how, is, how is that different than just a standard three-man booth and... How is it challenging for you and Daryl to not be able to have him right there with you and to be able to react to when he just might chime in? Well, first of all, you're right, Daryl. I did grow up uh, in your area, up in the uh, Lewiston, Youngstown area, and I've actually had the opportunity to visit uh, his, his childhood home. His parents still live there, and uh, we, uh, uh, Daryl's taken us to Niagara Falls and a bunch of the restaurants where we've had Bill's games. And my Ranger partner on the radio, Dave Maloney, who uh, was the former captain of the Rangers, actually spent a half season with the Sabres in 84-85. So I do work with a couple of guys with uh, connections to the Buffalo area. Um, as far as our football crew, uh, it's, it's really a lot of fun. This is my fifth year with them on a full-time basis. Did some other games with them prior to that. And it, it is a challenge because Daryl's up in the booth, like you said, and Tony's on the field. Uh, his mic is always open. He's not like the usual sideline reporter where, where you know, the, the producer in the production truck controls his mic. Tony can come in at any time. And I think, you know, through these five years that we've been together and, and they worked together uh, two or three years before that with Dick Stockton, I think they really uh, got a feel for each other's rhythm and cadence. And uh, it seems to work very well. You know, Daryl is a guy who, you know, analyzes the game from up in the booth, does a great job and, and, and Tony, as a former defensive lineman, likes to watch from the end zone and, and from the perspective that, uh, you know, he saw the game as a player. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully it's enjoyable for the fans. But uh, we think it works pretty well. And it, it was a challenge at first. And every season when you come back, you know, getting used to each other. And, you know, one thing to look for if you watch any of our games this year, Tony has an unbelievable new setup down there um, with, with monitors and a telestrator and, uh, you know, it looks like quite a contraption. We did a preseason game in Jacksonville a week and a half ago, so uh, Tony was able to get some of the kinks out. But uh, you know, he he, he probably has a, a better, bigger monitor than, than the officials who, you know, the referee who goes over to look at the replays. It's, it's incredible uh, the size of his equipment on the field, and uh, I'm sure he'll have some fun with it this year. 
we've had, we've been joking a little bit about certain things and saying you know it's it's preseason for everybody. How important is it to do those couple of preseason games? And you said kind of work out the kinks. Would it would it, would it be impossible to just show up on September 11th and call a game? Uh, it wouldn't be impossible because um, you know there there were some years where I didn't do preseason games and and not all announcers do. Um, but it definitely takes a little bit of time to get back into the rhythm. I think if I didn't do any preseason games, I'd probably pull out a couple of games from last year. Uh, but it always is strange that whether it's the first football game or even the first hockey game in October, after not having done it since April or, or early May, um, you know, it's almost like riding a bike in a way where, where you just pick it right up. But it, it is, uh, it is something that, uh, you know, every year you kind of have that same feeling. Uh, you know, the anticipation, waiting for the season to start up again, and uh, finally, uh, there it is, and you get back into the rhythm. I mentioned that there was two big moments in my sports life that you've been a part of, and we talked about the Chris Jury one, and you mentioned earlier that you've been doing playoff games in the NFL for the last few years, and I'm a big New Orleans Saints fan, been since I was a little boy, and your crew called the Saints and Cardinals playoff game when the Saints made their Super Bowl run. What was it like to call a playoff game in the Superdome, and how have things changed? I know you've been broadcasting Saints games for Fox for a long time, but maybe in the beginning of your career, you were kind of doing it as the low man on the totem pole and maybe broadcasting some of their games, not where fans had bags on their head, because I think that was way back in the 70s and not necessarily in the 90s, but some darker times, and as you moved up, it seems like almost... The Saints organization has moved up with you, and I've always seemed to have Kenny Albert with me on Sundays doing Saints games. It seems like you've done a ton over the years, and um, what was it like being there for that playoff game and just the excitement and that first play where Tim Tim Howtower ran that touchdown back and the whole place went silent, and then it ended up being a blowout anyway. Just take me through that day and... It probably wasn't ex- as exciting for you for you as it was for me, but still a day that I always think about you being a part of. No, you're absolutely right. I've been going down to New Orleans for a long time, and you know I remember back uh, when I first started at Fox. Uh, you know, in the early years, Mike Ditka was the head coach, and we we go in and meet with guys such as Ricky Williams, and and then the Jim Haslett era. They had some great success, obviously. Uh, you know, beating the Rams in the playoffs back in 2000. So, uh, yes, I've done a lot of Saints games through the years, both at home and on the road. And for the four years I, when I worked with Brian Baldinger, it seemed like we were the official uh, crew of the NFC South. We would get a lot of New Orleans, Carolina, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, and, and they were always great games. They were always real competitive, a lot of overtime games. I remember a, a Saints-Buccaneers game in Tampa uh, the first week of the season uh, back in 2002. Buccaneers yep. would go on to win the Super Bowl that year, and they lost to the Saints week one. So it's always been a fun division, uh, you know, to call games in, and uh, that playoff game two seasons ago against Arizona, definitely one of the highlights. You know, when I think back to the atmosphere uh, in the Superdome that night, and by winning that game, the Saints moved on to the NFC Championship game, and you're right, when Hightower scored the early touchdown, it was pretty silent, Um, but then, you know, Reggie Bush had some spectacular moments, and, you know, the, the hit on Kurt Warner was, uh, you know, obviously memorable. Yeah. Not for Kurt, but uh, for those who were uh, cheering for the Saints. And uh, that turned out to be the last game of his career. So um, very memorable. I remember Brad Pitt was on the sidelines with one of his kids before the game, 
uh, you know, he was living down there in New Orleans. So uh, I know you enjoyed that one, and uh, things would get even better for the Saints over the next three weeks after that win. Absolutely. You know, I wonder for you, is this is this year going to be any different to know that at 1 o'clock, as your game kicks off, another game is kicking off somewhere in the country, and your dad's back in the booth calling football? Yeah, that'll be fun. He, you know, he's really excited. Um, the last year that he did football on TV was 97 with NBC, and then they lost the contract uh, over to CBS after that season. And he did work the Westwood one Monday night games with Boomer Esiason for eight years, but uh, you know, I know he's excited about it. We've talked about it, and uh, he's looking forward to it. I think his first game um, might even be in Buffalo. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Won. Against Kansas City. Yeah, that's right. Bills against yeah. Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, he'll be working that game week one. So um, he's looking forward to it. It'll be fun, uh, you know, either to watch tapes of his games if I have one of his teams the following week or, uh, you know, to catch him uh, somewhere along the line, either in an airport or if I have a 4 o'clock game, maybe he'll be doing a 1 o'clock game. But he's looking forward to getting back at it with uh, with his partner, Rich Gannon. The Sportscasters are here with the great Kenny Albert. we only got a couple minutes left before we have to let him go. He's obviously a very busy guy wearing all these different hats and doing all these different things. A question I have for you is you've worked your way up to a position where you're basically the number two guy calling games at Fox. and You've kind of stepped in a few times this year and filled in for Joe Buck, who's been struggling a little bit with his voice. Does that put any other added pressure on you to know that you're almost in the position of like a backup quarterback right now where... Anything could happen to Joe or Joe's voice in the next couple of weeks, and you could be pushed up and elevated to the number one spot. Does that weigh in your mind a little bit at all, knowing that Joe's struggling a little bit with his voice, or you just kind of do what you do no matter what, and if they need you to be in a different role, you're ready to do that because you're a professional, or does it weigh on your mind at all? Well, to be honest, um, and, and you know, Joe's obviously uh, on the comeback trail, and, and he sounded great during the preseason game, the Eagles Steelers game last week. To be honest, his schedule didn't really change this year uh, on the baseball side. He he even in past years did not work every week. So um, as far as my schedule this year, you know, working a couple of games with Tim McCarver, that, that's been the same for the last five or six years. So that that really was not uh, correlated to the to the health issue uh, with his voice. Um, but you know, that being said. Always fun to, uh, you know, work with Tim, who's, who's obviously the number one baseball analyst. I had the opportunity to work with Troy Aikman a couple of years ago on, on three or four games. So, um, you know, it's always fun to work with those guys. And, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, back in 94 when Fox started, a lot of us younger guys at the time uh, were at the bottom of the totem pole and, and sort of worked our way up through the years. And, and, and the goal is obviously to, to, to work your way up as high as possible and, I just feel very fortunate that uh, for the last four years I've been a part of the number two football crew and have gotten a chance to do you know some of the top football games and baseball games on Fox and, and college football games as well. But on the other hand, you know, as far as preparing for the games, to me, whether you're doing a game you know that goes to three percent of the country or a hundred, I always prepare the same way. You know, you never know who's watching that particular game. Uh, no matter what the game is, there are, there are millions and millions of people watching. Uh, you know, whether it's an NFL Sunday or, or a baseball Saturday. So, um, yes, on one hand, you love, you know, obviously working the bigger games and, and with the top analysts, but uh, you also still prepare, you know, for every each and every game the same way. Having done all these amazing events, you mentioned Sugar Bowls, we've talked about NHL playoff games, we've talked about NFL playoff games. What goals do you still have as a broadcaster? What 
what games or what events are on your bucket list, things that Kenny Albert still wants to accomplish before his career is over? Well, I think, you know, obviously everybody that's involved in, in the NFL would love to do a Super Bowl someday. So uh, whether it's TV, radio, uh, you know, whatever the medium might be, uh, you know, that's one event that I have not done. I've been in the stands for three of them. So I think that would have to be uh, a goal. And um, I mentioned earlier, I did two Stanley Cup finals in NHL radio. So uh, back in 94, 95. So you know, if either the Rangers go back to the Stanley Cup Finals at some point or I have the chance to do radio or uh, on some other medium uh, in the future. Uh, but, you know, you'd always love to do the, the big events, and, and I've been very lucky that I've done playoff games in all four sports, some bowl games, a pro bowl, uh, you know, NFL playoff games, like I said. So, uh, uh, you know, I love what I do, and, and it, it never feels like I'm going to work, like I mentioned earlier. So, uh uh, but you always love to do those 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 big games, you know, the pinnacle in, in each of the sports. How has Twitter changed what you do, if at all? It certainly takes up a lot of time. <laughs> um, you know, I still get four five newspapers delivered at home, and I'm on the computer all day. And, uh, you know, signed up for Twitter about a year and a half ago with the help of the PR folks at Fox. And, uh, you know, as you guys know, I do tweet every so often, usually when I'm, when I'm out on the road working. But I also follow probably you know, 250 uh, people at this point, and I feel you have to keep up with it because uh, it, it is it is another outlet to uh, uh, to study and prepare for, for the events that I wore. You know, I feel like if, if I don't go on, even for a couple of hours, you miss some things. Now, again, you might read it in the newspaper, you might see it on the internet, but uh, I really feel like, it, you know, in, in a short time, it's become a great tool for uh, news gathering and you know, while it does take up a lot of time, uh, there there are numerous, uh, you know, whether it's um, articles or just little notes about teams and players, you know, things that I pick up on Twitter that, that I would not see otherwise. When you're working games this year, do you think you'll find yourself, maybe during commercial breaks or at halftime, checking your Twitter just to see if there's a angle that you're missing that the country's kind of zeroed in on? Like, the reason I think of this question is because... In the NFC Championship game last year, when Jay, Jay Cutler got injured, Twitter kind of blew up with all of this speculation and things like that. And I had always wondered if uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman knew what was going on on Twitter, and if they had, if they would have changed maybe the way they approached that situation. Uh, what do you think about that, and will you use Twitter during broadcasts, or will you kind of just shut the phone off and, and get focused and trust your initial preparation? Well, it's an interesting question, and I've heard it before, you know, in, in recent weeks from, from other people. Um, I think, you know, on one hand, you do have to remain focused. And, you know, I try to look at my phone as, as little as possible, you know, even with regard to emails and texts during a game because you don't want to miss anything that's going on in the field or the ice. Uh, you know, you have to rely on the preparation, like you said. Um, but... You know, over the last couple of years, whether it's been, you know, work colleagues, friends, once in a while, someone watching or listening to the game has sent me an email or a text that, that is relevant or some kind of a note that either we missed or uh, it might add to something that we're talking about. So I don't think you can shut yourself out to the outside world, you know, in this day and age. As far as Twitter, it's a real interesting question. And I think um, I think the answer will be sometimes, you know, sometimes I will check it, sometimes I might not have the time to, especially during a football game, you know, maybe at halftime. 
But even then, we're pretty busy, you know, moving forward. Halftime's only 12 minutes, and we have to get ready for the second half. And uh, you might run to the men's room for a minute or two and, uh, you know, just take a little bit of a break. But uh, we might also have other people monitoring. You know, we have statisticians and spotters and, and guys in the truck. So I think they might be more apt to monitor throughout the game, whereas I might be able to check once in a while during a commercial break or halftime. But I think it's, it's certainly something we'll all have to consider. The Sportscasters with Kenny Albert uh, talking about Twitter here. You can follow him. He is, I think, just simply at Kenny Albert. Kenny, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. And if there's anything that you'd like to plug, a charity or uh, some games that you work in, you can go ahead and do that, or we can just say goodbye. You got it. I really enjoyed it. And uh, like I said, having trouble hearing you these last uh, 30 seconds or so. But thanks for having me on. And uh you know, you know, as you know, I'm following you guys on Twitter. We're following each other, so uh, keep in touch. And I'd love to come on, uh, you know, another time soon, anytime you guys need a guest. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Albert. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonette, Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right, we are back. Got to thank Kenny Albert. That was a treat. Seems like almost instantly we've developed a little rapport with him, and I would assume Kenny's going to be back with us to talk a little hockey as uh, the NHL season comes up. And uh, also, it's going to be nice because if there's ever a big game that we want to focus on a little bit, and Kenny's broadcasting it, I feel like we might be able to reach out and get a little bit of time to talk about that specific game with him. So, got to thank Kenny Albert. Hopefully, he enjoyed his time on the Sportscasters. And it's time to move on and talk a little bit of fantasy football. We've been focusing on fantasy football quite a bit the last few weeks. Don and I are big players, really enjoy fantasy football. And kind of two things have happened in the last week. One is Don and I drafted a team in a league that was sponsored by Jay Clemens. Right. Who also was on a previous episode. I think it was episode 36 of the sportscasters, and he is the fantasy expert formerly from SI.com and now at the National Football Post. He is an award-winning fantasy writer, and he was nice enough to host a league online that Don and I drafted a team in. Now, it was a 16-team league. Right. So, And we had about pick 14, I want to say. Yep. So, uh, Don, why don't you tell them how we did, and let's kind of critique ourselves here a bit. Uh, both of us are new to this. I think we both played in 10 to 12 team leagues. Never so, did a 16. Yeah, I've never come close to 16. Uh, I'm never one to take a quarterback early, but in a league where there are going to be 16 quarterbacks starting, we both kind of agreed that at pick 14, when you're really going to be drafting a running back that probably isn't going to be like a game changer. He's going to be solid, but we figured at our number one pick we would take the best quarterback available. That happened to be Aaron Rodgers, which I'm very happy with. I think that's... I said earlier, I think Michael Vick is going to come back to earth a little bit this year, and Rodgers appears to be the best quarterback in the game right now. So, like I said, I've never wanted to draft a quarterback early, but I'm happy the way that turned out. We don't have great running backs on this team. We but don't. But we might have 
the best quarterback, the best tight end, and the best receiver. Potentially, yeah. We Potentially. Had, right. Because we, we went tight end a little earlier than we normally might have because we knew we didn't have great running backs. It's not even that early. I mean, er, early. Well, Gates had already been picked. Right. So it wasn't that incredibly early. And the fourth round is somewhat early, but it was the 51st pick. So in a regular draft, you're talking the first pick of the sixth round. Right. Which is very reasonable, actually, for somebody like Jason Witten. Um, yeah, so we got Witten. We got Calvin, Calvin well, Johnson. We got Calvin Johnson with our second, second pick. pick, right? Uh, and then I think our third pick, we were waiting there. We knew we had to get it back, and they were just getting clipped off like crazy, right? I think there was like a list of five that we wanted, and on that way back, they just they couldn't survive. Yeah, there's uh, a couple of big reaches, and it Blount just killed went before us. him. Uh, some guys, though, like as it shook out, uh, guys like Ryan Grant, I'm glad we didn't get. Right, because it turns he's just out, looking terrible. Yeah, uh, we There's ended up with, with Beanie Wells, like you said. Right. Beanie other, Wells in a die. I think our choice behind Beanie Wells might have been Tim Hightower, who was named the starter, but Beanie Wells really is the uncontested starter there. So Now, here's something I like. Our last pick was Bernard Scott. Bernard Scott, the guy ahead of him, is spending a week in jail. Right. Now... That's not going to affect his playing time because it's his bye week. But you have to think that Commissioner Goodell is going to suspend Cedric Benson for some point. So that might open the door for Bernard Scott. If Cedric Benson doesn't have a great year, that gives us a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, We also took some upside guys. We took DeMarco Murray, who Dave Damashek said on this show was his number one sleeper. And we also took Joe McKnight, who's kind of been struggling uh, to establish himself with the Jets, but he has been getting carries in these preseason games, so he might be another guy that's an injury or so away. And when you're doing a team that's 16 deep like this, you have to take some guys that you definitely would normally not draft. But I don't know that we have any completely useless players on our team. We we took a second quarterback, which I'm glad we did, right? because there's nothing left there. So it's nice to have Sam Bradford to compliment Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers gets another concussion or something, we will be perfectly comfortable filling Sam Bradford in there. Heinz Ward gives us a little veteran depth at wide receiver. Yeah, I think he's the least interesting pick uh, just because you're probably not going to get anything spectacular out of Heinz Ward. And there were some guys taken around him like Emmanuel Sanders, Greg Little, that might have a little more upside, but we needed kind of depth. We had... Some up, our receivers aren't really bad at all. Our receivers could be very good, especially for a 16 team. We got Calvin Johnson. Santana Moss is pretty steady in Washington, even with all the bad quarterback situations they've had. And Jacoby Ford, even though he's on a bad team, he might be the number one receiver there. So it'll be interesting. I've never done a like a quote unquote experts league, and I've never done a 16 team league that was this deep. So we have to thank Jay Clemens one for including us, yeah, absolutely, and two for getting this together. I think he did four of them. Uh, the, he calls them the Fantasy Philanthropist and Company Leagues. Yep. So thank you for including us, and uh, that's how it went, and I think we did. We had a good time. Now, Yeah, we'll probably use that league throughout the year to kind of reference back to stuff that we're doing a little bit yeah, in addition well, to what you're going to bring up now. Yeah, and the second thing I was going to say here as we move along on 5 and Fantasy is that a listener – and uh, I'm going to look him up because I want to give him proper credit. But the other day, I was just kind of hanging out on, at home watching some TV. I think I had just gotten home from the Bills game. I went to see the Bills and the Jaguars play. And we'll talk about that during uh, three, uh, pick four. But uh, I went to the Bills game, and I had gotten home. I was just relaxing. 
And I got uh, a tweet from a listener, and he said, hey, guys, do you think you're going to do – it says, just wondering, is there any fantasy league that you guys are going to do with the fans? That would be pretty cool. And that was a tweet from a guy named Jared who is at JCOGZ43 on Twitter. Just to plug his Twitter there. And I thought it was a great idea, and I called up Don. Yeah. And Don thought it was a great idea. And ever since Michael Fabiano had come on the show, I really felt guilty that I wasn't in any NFL.com <laughs> leagues. You were already in one. I'm in one now, yeah. But I wasn't. So I had kind of wanted to do one, and I wanted to do another PPR league. And... We kind of created a league real quick, and we kind of based it around the things that Michael Fabiano said he likes from his fantasy. He likes PPR. Yeah, he likes PPR. He likes getting points for return yards and return touchdowns. So we did that kind of thing, and we invited our listeners to join. And within a day or two, we had filled yeah, the league. Yeah, it's already full. How many teams are we doing? I'm we did 10. 10? Okay. Yeah, and the league is full. We have one division. It's called the Don Division. One division is called the Steve Division. And... Um, Great. Uh, we got some of our really diehard listeners like JT Brawley and his brother are in the league. We also have the Ryan from the Damashek message board. And uh, we have a guy that goes to University of Texas. We have a guy that goes to Penn State. So we kind of got a bunch of a good mix there. Yeah, diverse. A really diverse field. Um, and we're looking forward to doing it. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, definitely talk about that next week and let you know how it shakes out. All right, I've talked a bit about uh, CJ2K, uh, Chris Johnson, on the podcast, especially in the fantasy segment. And this weekend in the draft I had that is on NFL.com, I passed on him with the seventh pick. And that is probably going a little bit crazy. Uh, I, I instead drafted Andre Johnson, who was the first receiver off the board, which I'm happy with. Uh, he ended up going with the tenth pick. The other guys... He's behind where the five other big-name running backs, uh, Michael Vick, Rodgers, and Roddy White. And my only real opinion on this is if I had to do it again, I think I would. The only guy I don't like that he went behind was Vick, but that's because I'm not a Vick guy. But I probably would have picked Andre Johnson. I probably would have picked Roddy White. I may have picked Aaron Rodgers. That's a tough thing because, like I said, I'm never a quarterback first type of guy. But... Other than the two quarterbacks, I probably would have done the same thing that the other people did, and I would have probably taken them at nine if I was there. You know, it's interesting because I wanted to mention I had a draft this weekend as well, and I've been lucky this year getting a lot of top picks, and I have Adrian Peterson on just about every team I've drafted so far. So going into the draft on Sunday, I was thinking about picking Arian Foster first overall. Right. Well, luckily, this draft was on Sunday and not Saturday because Saturday, Arian Foster ended up tweaking his hamstring again. And I guess this kind of, between my point and your point, it's kind of like, where are these running backs right now? Yeah, you know, it's, it's strange because at the beginning of the year, I think we, we talked about where would you pick? If, if all, all things being equal, where would you pick? Like, obviously, number one is usually the best in a standard uh, draft. But... If you could pick as high as six, we said you were okay because you had Peterson, Foster, Johnson, Rice, McCoy, and who am I forgetting? Foster. Oh, Charles. Charles, yep. Jamal Charles. Charles. But now I almost feel like you want to pick in the top three 
because I like Peterson, Rice, and Charles. Charles. And then I just, still like McCoy. I like yeah. McCoy too, but he w- he would be my number four right now, probably. Right. But just slightly below those top three because I'm re- I really like Charles. You know, it's going to be interesting, and it's probably going to be too late for most drafts. Maybe not. Maurice Jones Drew is going to play this week. He hasn't played at all this. He preseason. hasn't played yet. But if Maurice Jones Drew plays a half this week and rushes for seventy five yards and a touchdown, yeah, he's going to go way up boards quick. Yep, because with Johnson slipping. You know, the talented Mr. Roto still has him as his fifth running back. I know that's down a spot. He moved Ray Rice ahead of him. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew, he has a seventh. Mendenhall, eight. I got Mendenhall in, a th- in the third round in a league, the very first one we drafted. That's never going to happen now. No. With all these question marks at running back. So if we were to rank, if I was to re-rank my top running backs, I'd probably do this. I'd probably go Peterson one. I'd probably move Jamal Charles up to number two now. I'd probably do Ray Rice three, Foster four, because we saw last year with Darrell Rivas, those hamstrings can be nasty. Yep. And I'm worried about him, not because he did it once, but because he's already done it twice this year. Right. And I've read from some injury experts that that second time can sometimes be worse. And I'm surprised that the Texans risked him like that. Then I probably would have McCoy, Jones Drew, Mendenhall, and then Johnson. Look, at, I'm to the point where I'm scared to death of Chris Johnson right now. Right. I am partly convinced that he could sit this whole season out. And it's a weird thing, too, because both sides – I mean, really, I should say – should let me back up. The Titans have no leverage. They're going to be a bad team. It's not like a team that's going to run out there and be like, we'll be fine without you. So – I don't. I don't know what the thought and their is leverage there. was that they can. You know, he's not going to be able to be a free agent, but he's already given that up. Yeah, he gave it up as soon as he. So that date has come and gone. Right. So he's already given up this year as being a vested year. You know. So I think there's another deadline coming up this week that if he if it passes, we might not see him at all. And you know, I th- I think it's it's smart on his part where he knows he's only got so many earning years in his legs right and it's the kind of position that can end in a heartbeat they're all like that but running back is almost the scariest of them all just because you take so many hits in a game i'm curious how far apart they are because i know he's making like 800 he came to tennessee and has left right and said that they were not even close right I mean, so he, it just sounds worse and worse. He seems to be overvaluing just his position a little bit because that, running backs. That's what frustrates me about him. Look at be the top pick. Get Peterson money. Right. You know, he wants to get Manning money. That's insane. And Vic didn't even get Manning money. Right. And Vic's a quarterback. So maybe the Vic contract and the Fitzgerald contract coming in the last week or so, maybe between those two contracts, they can find something that works for each other. But I'm getting nervous, and I don't just—I don't blame you. Do you draft all the guys that you named ahead of a, ri- a wide receiver or quarterback? Are you drafting Mendenhall and Maurice Jones-Drew ahead of? You know, I've kind of realized that it kind of depends on the league. In a ten-team standard league, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I like Johnson. I, I think I, I heard, could see taking Johnson, maybe instead of Jones-Drew. I think our top picks are pretty much the same. Um, I think you had Rice at three. Yeah, probably. I yeah, Foster's tough. I mean, that's a tough. That's I a just tough moved call. him down one spot to four. Right. 
that could probably make the argument he was behind McCoy, maybe. But he he's a he's a tough guy to call. Like even if he misses a game, he's probably still worth. He's probably better with 15 games than McCoy is with 16. But that, it's a thing. Is it going to nag like Rebus's did last year? So uh, for like I said, there were six guys that seemed to be money surefire things this year, and now it's down to maybe three or four. It's uh, made drafting a lot more interesting. And you know when we were doing that 16 team league, we were saying. It's really important for the people at the top of that league to draft safe. And the first pick, the first in pick that was wasn't Foster. safe. He took Foster, the and fourth, I bet he regrets it. The fourth pick was Chris Johnson. That could be a – oh. Imagine you lose your first-round pick in a 16-team league. You get nothing from him. Yeah, that's that's nuts. Then you're – You better find the best free agent. The guy that drafted Foster picked 32nd. So his second-best player by draft status is Deshaun Jackson. Ouch. Yeah. All right, last thing today for Five on Fantasy. We'll call this number five. I did another. I did a draft this weekend, and the league had IDP. And I wanted to bring this up today on the podcast anyway because I listen occasionally, and this is a plug for them that they don't need, but <laughs> I do listen to the Fantasy Focus Football podcast on ESPN.com with Nate Rabbits and Matthew Barry. I listen to that occasionally. Don listens to it as well. Yep. And the other day, Matthew Barry wasn't on, and in his place was the host of the just regular football podcast right? on ESPN.com. And he kind of had a defensive background, and they talked a little bit about IDP. And Nate Rabbits mentioned that it, a few years ago, it had picked up steam as supposedly being like the next cool thing in fantasy football. But it just but never it just burned become, out. Right. And I can tell you why. It just, does, it just doesn't work. This league is tried and tried and tried with IDP, and the people who run it want you to believe that IDP is the coolest thing going. But I wonder, I look at them at, at the draft and say, do you really still believe that, or do you just not want to be wrong about it? From an outsider's perspective, having never played IDP, I could see two problems. The one problem is if you don't draft enough of them, then everyone has pick. the same guy. Right. Like if, if you are only drafting one well, this player. is what they did initially that they changed because of this problem you're saying. They drafted two, or you had to start two at any position, Okay, and you had to draft three. So that means that there was a, it's a 12-team league, so that means that there was only 36 but, IDPs picked. But even, yeah, even that. It wasn't uh, enough. What's the difference? All you have to do is draft. I mean, sure, a playmaker is going to get you more points in IDP, but someone like uh, – the Buffalo Bills had a terrible defense last year, and Paul Pazlesny's was a tackle machine on it. Just right, because, and tackles are one point apiece. Right, so you just draft middle linebackers throughout that entire league, and you might not have a guy that's going to score a ton of points, but he's going to at least keep pace. Everyone seemed to have the same, and another problem was is people would just cherry-pick someone from the top ten off the waivers every week. Right. You know, and everyone would get to score the same amount of points. So then they changed it to... You have to start one DB, you have to start one linebacker, one defensive lineman, and you have to draft two from each position. And the problem with that is half of the draft is IDP. And they had a draft board, and I was looking at it, and you look, and the top half of the draft board is multicolored. People picking wide receivers, quarterbacks, running backs. Then the bottom half was all purple. Right. It was like we had two drafts. We had the, the position draft and the IDP draft. And it was boring, and it took forever, and it just wasn't fun. That's why... Uh, the one thing in fantasy that new players seem to not notice is they'll look at the highest scoring players maybe from the year previous, and it's all quarterbacks. 
And then they come to the draft, and everyone drafts running backs, and they think, well, why is that? And it's it's because the drop-off from the top-tier running backs or top two tiers of running backs to the tiers below that is ridiculous, whereas the drop-off from the top quarterback to the 12th quarterback is a tighter gap. And it seems like with IDP, the gap would be even tighter because there's just so many middle linebackers. There's so many corners that are just going to make tackles. And unless you get lucky and get a guy that goes off and has a ton of interceptions. All 32 teams have someone with 100 tackles usually every year, right? You would have to think so, unless so, injuries. But, I mean, their middle linebacker generally position. Generally speaking, right. every team's – so right there, that's equal to three leagues. Yeah, the two, the two problems I said from an outsider's perspective was either everyone has the same guy, and the second one you basically just touched on was that it seems like it would make – Drafts, which can already be long. Drafts are kind of... Uh, that was by far the longest draft I had. To steal a line from Mitch Hedberg, he says... Uh, he's talking about comedians, but drafts can be the same way. He says you have to be exciting. You can't be like pancakes and be exciting at the beginning, but by the end, you're sick of them. And it feels like with a draft like that, by the end of it, everyone's just going to be... Like, I've been in drafts with more casual people, and by the end of even like a, like a standard-type draft, people are like, oh, God, it's still going on. You know what I mean? And I can only imagine if like a league like that added six, seven, eight IDP positions to draft. It's a nightmare. Right. You're you're doubling the length of the draft almost. It was a nightmare. I don't recommend it if you're starting up a league. Do you still draft team defenses at no. all then? No. And so we you... don't do kickers, which is nice. Because yeah, I, I hate that's... kickers. Kickers but... are so random, yeah. Uh, all right. That's it for five on fantasy today. I'm sure we'll do it again next week. Probably next week we'll be able to change tone a little bit. Maybe talk about who we're going to start. We can talk about the about draft matchups. Our, our, we'll uh, talk about fan our draft. fan draft. So definitely we'll do it again next week. We're going to take a break again. We're going to come back with Chris Burke from SportsIllustrated.com, the Audible's blog, and then we'll be back after that to close things out with pick four. Our next guest is from East Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is a graduate of the University of Michigan. He has worked as an NFL editor, blogger, and associate producer for Fan House. Today, he lives in Arlington, Virginia, where he is a featured NFL blogger for SportsIllustrated.com. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Chris Burke. How are you doing today, Chris? Good. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you on today. I mean... We're to this. We're to the point now where you you can almost you can almost just taste the start of the season, the big week three of the preseason, which everyone always refers to as the kind of dress rehearsal game is behind us. We got to get through one more week of these preseason games, but doesn't seem like a lot of starters are going to play. Maybe some more than others in certain situations. But um, I guess where we should start is kind of the big news of the day or the last 24 hours anyway, was the big Michael Vick contract. What did you think, uh, what was your initial reaction when you heard that he had signed his second $100 million contract as an NFL player? Uh, I think at first I was as surprised as anyone. I mean, that <laughs> you think about how far his career has come, I mean, just in terms of the ups and downs. and Obviously, like you mentioned, this is his second $100 million contract. He got one in Atlanta, and then... <laughs> lost it because he went to jail and now gets another one. I mean, it's 
it's pretty remarkable uh, storyline that he's followed there. But I mean, it was surprising uh, the money first of all, but also just the length of it. I mean, six years for a thirty-one-year-old quarterback, especially one that runs as much and takes so many hits as he does, was uh, I think kind of caught everyone off guard. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I think the issue of just can he be a $16 million player at age 36 or 37, you know, kind of the way he he's going to have to make adjustments in his style, I think, as the contract gets deeper into it. Wouldn't you agree that he's not going to be able to be the same player at 35, 36, and 37 that he is now? Yeah, I mean, if he is the same player, he's probably not going to get to the end of that contract, like you said. So, um you know, I'm sure there are some out clauses for the Eagles if it gets to that where he's banged up at 36 or 37 years old where they can cut him and not have it kill them too much financially. But, you know, I, I think even from last year to this year, we'll probably see him try to run a little less just because, you know, he was banged up last year. He missed games last year because he got hurt scrambling. So, you know, it's a it's a gamble for the Eagles, but... If he's healthy, we've seen what he can do. He's one of the better quarterbacks out there. So, you know, they're taking the chances that he can he can make those adjustments and stay on the field. You know, one thing I noticed when he was in Atlanta is that the first couple seasons, when he just kind of went out and played and was going on instinct, he was much more effective than when they tried to kind of rein him in and keep him in the pocket a little bit more. It was almost like you could look at him and see him thinking on the field. And it kind of slowed his whole game down and made him a little bit easier to contain. And I wonder if he's going to run into the same problems here in Philadelphia where he's going to start to try to play a little bit less on instinct and a little bit more to protect his body and try to get through the contract. Do you think he could run into the same problems where we're going to find out that he's just not the kind of player who can think and play. He's the kind of guy who needs to just react and play on instincts. What do you think of that theory? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like you said, it's just in terms of the way that he plays the game, I mean, he's at his best when he's improvising, he's getting out of the pocket, you know, even when the Eagles are calling plays for him to roll out. So it'll be interesting to see if they try to uh, limit the number of hits he takes because, you know, as a pocket passer, he's he's got the cannon for an arm still, obviously, but he's not, you know, he's not a Peyton Manning. He's not going to sit there and throw for 400 yards a game just by, you know, just by sitting in a shotgun and four or five hits wide. He's got to get out on the move. He's got to he's uh, got to get out of the pocket. And so, yeah, I mean, if you take that part of the game away from him, it's gonna it's going to limit what he's able to do. So it'll be interesting to see if if they really try to do that in Philadelphia, but. You know, I think the other aspect of this that you got to take into account is, you know, he's uh, he came in back in the league in 2009 and got a one-year deal in Philly. He was working uh, off a one-year deal uh, last year, and then he was headed into this year as a as a franchise tag player. So, you know, he was up until yesterday, <laughs> up until you know, up until um, Monday, he's still trying to work for that big contract. So, you know, we've seen across sports guys in contract years play better before they sign their deal than they do after. So, you know, I think that's the other aspect of this, that if there's anything that worries Philadelphia, that's, that's, I think that's got to be another thing in there too. 
Yeah, and you know, he's was almost in this unique situation too where he's had creditors kind of breathing down his neck ever since he got out of jail. One more thing about Vic, because I am really excited to talk to you a little bit about Nadamakan Sue, but uh you know, he's such a polarizing athlete and ESPN kind of almost dedicated their entire not quite, but almost their entire football preview issue to Michael Vick. And they had an in- interesting article in there where people were, or the basis of the article is, what if Michael Vick was was white? Were, were you offended by that at all? Did it did it bother you that, I don't, I don't know exactly what I wanted to ask, exactly how I want to ask this, but maybe the best way is just, what was your initial reaction to the way ESPN decided to devote their entire preview issue to Michael Vick. And do you think that they took a pretty big risk by uh, writing that column? Uh, Was that anything you would ever consider writing? Yeah, I mean, that was... (laughs) ESPN's sort of in that other stratosphere where they can kind of do things that other uh, organizations and other writers maybe can't do and necessarily get away with. Um, And that's not to say that they don't ever take criticism or get negative feedback. I think that that... Not even so much the article offended people as the graphic, the illustration accompanying it, where they they whitened him, literally put <laughs> made Vic look like he was white. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, I think that was sort of the thing that just took people aback. And uh, you know, I mean, in terms of the topic and in terms of the general theme of it, you know, I think it's a worthwhile question to ask how much race plays into, you know, how people view Vic now and how they viewed him before. I mean, especially given the limited number of African-American quarterbacks that have been successful in the NFL, I think it's worth asking how people react to him, even just in general, let alone now after everything that happened. But, um, (laughs) you know, I, I think that they... It's it's so hard because I think that they really did cross the line with that illustration. I think it was just sort of a thing where, you know, they kind of pushed the envelope and maybe took it a little too far trying to get their point across. But uh, in terms of the topic, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's worthwhile to talk about. I don't think it's um, necessarily something that, you know, you don't want to get into it with with every quarterback and you don't want it to be a topic that you're always talking about well how how does you know a black quarterback compare to a white quarterback in in a certain system or anything like that i mean i i can't imagine espn's going to bust out any you know what if tom brady was black, black right. articles or anything uh so what, it's kind of if, a fine line but it's it's interesting topic to bring up I, it was just a kind of a weird way that they did it Right. I, I don't think next month... What if Drew Brees was from Haiti? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're from, the, you're from the Michigan area. I think you're a bit of a Lions fan. You, are, you have admitted to being a card-carrying member of the Wayne uh, <laughs> Fonts uh, uh, fan club. I want to talk to you about Ndamukong Sue, one, because you wrote about him, and one, because... Does he need... Here, let's just start here. First of all, it didn't take him long to be basically like a top-five player in this league did it like he is as advertised legit it was interesting to me that around draft time there's like a debate that maybe a couple teams thought that Gerald McCoy might be better than him all that talk is out the window I mean this guy is 
not going to be a bust. He is as advertised, top two, top, maybe should have been the number one pick, stud, right? Yeah, I mean, I had someone even just talking about him yesterday. One of my one of my friends said to me yesterday, uh, you know, they could see him being a candidate for defensive player of the year right now. I mean, this year he's yeah. that he's that dominant, and I don't think that's. Uh, completely out of the realm of possibilities if he plays all 16 games. So, yeah, I mean, the Lions definitely got <laughs> what they were looking for when they took him, and uh, he hasn't disappointed so far. I mean, it's still early in his career, but he hasn't done anything so far to let them down. No, but he is awfully, awfully aggressive, and he has been kind of towing the line a little bit here the last couple weeks. And maybe getting close to crossing it. He's kind of thrown a couple punches, gotten in the mix. Do you think the Lions want to calm him down a little bit? Or do you think that that, that style, that aggression is what makes him great? And they need to just kind of take the good and the bad and hope that he, he doesn't quite cross the line where it means him missing games due to suspension or being ejected from a game? That line is huge important lines i mean they can't they built their entire defense and in some ways their entire team around him so they can't afford to have him miss a game or two because he's you know sucker punches someone who does something egregious trying to tackle a quarterback i don't think he's crossed that line so far i think just him being in the spotlight compared and combined with you know he has had i guess four incidents now in uh a full you know a year so um, I think there's definitely a line in the sand there kind of drawn, and he keeps creeping closer and closer to it. He's got to be really careful to not go over it. I don't think the Lions want to reel him in at all because the way he plays and that intimidation factor is so important to him and to that entire defense. So I think it's more a matter of uh, maybe just trying to be smart with where, you, where he unleashes that aggression. Um, you know, and the case the other night where he, uh, you know, his teammate Lawrence Jackson was kind of tangled up with, with Logan Mankins of the Patriots, and Mankins grabbed him by the face, Jackson by the face mask, and kind of threw him down, and then Sue came in with the punch. I mean, that's a that's a situation where, you know, you want you're, you want Sue to come to the defense of his teammate, but you can't have him risking fines and suspensions by doing something like that. So, um. I think they want him to be careful, but I don't think they're ever going to tell him to play with less aggressive, less aggression because it's just such a big part of his game and such a big part of what they do. What can the Lions do to keep Matthew Stafford standing upright for the entire season this year? Well, I think that, you know, just going back to that Patriots game again, I think you saw in that one a little bit of what, they're going to try and do, which is in that game, they played a lot of no huddle. They went to the shotgun a lot and uh, just sort of let him air it out. And I think, I think playing that style of game is kind of designed to get him away from the pressure a little bit instead of, you know, going under center and, and running play action 10, 10 times a game or uh, doing something, you know, trying to do a five-step drop from under center. I mean, I think, that they're doing some things with their offense and with the type of players they have in their offense to keep him safe. Um, you know, the offensive line really wasn't as bad last year as everyone sort of made it out to be. It, he he just happened to take 
and over his first two years, he's just happened to take a couple of really big shots. So uh, it's to some extent, it's just kind of the risk that you run at you run at quarterback, no matter who's back there. And it just was unlucky um, a little bit the way that it happened to him. So I, I think that they're going to try and protect him a little bit more with their scheme and getting the ball out quick and working him out of the shotgun. But aside from that, I think it's really important for them to have a good running game this year because they didn't last year, so teams can just kind of load up on Stafford in the passing game. And uh, I think it's pretty important for them to fix that How big? 2011. How big was the LaShore injury then? Can David Best handle this job on his own? I think it was huge. I mean... He was best is a great talent, and he's a very athletic guy. And for some of the stuff that the Lions try to do, you know, they they run a lot of screens and uh, try to get their running backs out into the flat and get the ball to them. And so for that purpose, he's he's great. But in terms of carrying 25, 30 times a game, I don't think he can do that. So Lashore was sort of their uh, their fail safe there. He was their guy that they were going to try and run between the tackles and instead of twenty. So. Uh, I don't know how they're going to quite come, overcome that. They signed Jerome Harrison. They've got Maurice Morris. I'm sure those guys will get carries, but you know that was a huge injury for them. You know, it's kind of funny. One last thing about the Lions, and we'll move on to a couple questions about the league in general. But it seems like during the Matt Millen era, they had they couldn't have had worse luck in the draft. Like everyone agreed that the Charles Rogers pick was the right pick. Everyone or just about everyone, wanted them to make that pick. And it seemed like his career was off to a great start. Then he breaks the collarbone, comes back, off to another good start, breaks the collarbone, then kind of fades away. And then it seemed like that, you know, the only really bad, bad pick, Roy Williams seemed like a good pick, and maybe Mike Williams wasn't. But it seems like now that the Matt Millionaire is over, they can't seem to miss. You know, Matt Stafford looks like he's out of this world. Uh, Calvin Johnson's been incredible without a quarterback, and I'm sure the more chemistry that he gets with Stafford, he's just going to go to another level. And now Sue, was it just changing regimes that made, or do you think it's just like that the Lions are the greatest case of like what a crapshoot the draft is? Because sometimes, you know, it seems like the Lions have just kind of made the picks that were there for them. You know, like you know, it made sense to pick Stafford. It made sense to pick. Johnson. It made sense to pursue. Like there wasn't many other options. It was just like that's where they were going. And and in some cases, I want to defend Matt Millen because I didn't hear anyone complaining about picking Charles Rogers until you know his career was over because of these strange collarbone issues. I I think you might be one of the few who will try to defend Matt Millen. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I mean, he was obviously flawed. The Mike Williams pick that you mentioned that was one where. That was, you know, and that was such an odd case because of what happened with him in the NCAA. But when he came up in, in that spot for the Lions, it was almost a case of, well, how can you pass on this guy when he's such a potentially such a great talent? And it just didn't work out. I mean, he's had, he's sort of reviving his career now, which may eventually go to show that <laughs> it wasn't as terrible a pick as it looked at first. But um, it just never worked out. I mean, I think. It, there is, it is a crapshoot. I mean, the draft is between guys that pan out and don't pan out and injuries and, uh, you know, anything else that might happen in free agency or trades. I think it's a huge crapshoot. But uh, I think the Lions also got smarter with 
you know, sort of how they were trying to build their team. Um, instead of just, uh, you know, that run of wide receivers that they had in the draft, obviously taking all those guys, you sort of neglect uh, the line, offensive line, defensive line, you know, some of the other important positions. And I think that they, they've gotten they've gotten better in the last few years with uh, taking, sort of combining the best player available uh, approach to the draft with filling those gaps. So I think it's really worked out for them so far. I mean, they've still had some misses in the last few years, uh, but I, I think they've definitely gotten smarter with what they're trying to do. And I think there's a clear idea of where they want to be as a franchise now, which helps. So we're about one week and two days away from the last two Super Bowl champions meeting at Lambeau Field and starting the season. And I like to ask this question because I like to see where my guests are at. What what kind of storylines, what kind of things are you most excited to see play out as the NFL season starts in a week or so here? Well, I think there's a lot of interest just, you know, not to go the obvious route, but in terms of some of these quarterback situations, I mean, Peyton Manning coming back from the injury, is he going to be able to get in and play? Or are we going to see Kerry Collins? I mean, Tony Romo's coming back from being injured all last year. Uh, Eli Manning had a bad year. He's been bad in the preseason. I mean, have we way overblown him as a potentially elite quarterback? I mean, I think that's that's where it starts just because that's the most prominent uh, position. Yeah, Most prominent position, yeah. I mean, other than that, it's, it's really interesting to me, just because we were talking about the Lions, they're – there's sort of been that elite level of team, you know, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Ravens, uh, Saints to some extent. I mean, you've had the same elite teams for the last few years, uh, some even longer than that. So I think the interesting thing that started to happen last year, you know, with teams like the Chiefs coming up and the Rams getting better, is you're seeing some of those teams that have been down for a while make you know, I, I think that'll be interesting to see this year, how many of them can have, you know, ha- can have breakthrough seasons, whether it's the Lions uh, or the Texans. Um, I think there's a few teams that are kind of right on the cusp there of being contenders. So it'll be interesting to see if they can jump up and sort of knock off a few of the big boys. Yeah, you mentioned St. Louis, and they're an interesting team to me. I'm a big Sam Bradford fan, and I was kind of excited to see him get off to a great start last year. Do you think the Rams have done enough to put enough good talent around Sam Bradford to be able to succeed, or do you think that they're still another draft and free agency period away from really being a legitimate contender in the NFC? I mean, I think that they'll definitely contend in the NFC West because it's such a poor division, but do you think they're still another year away from being a legitimate contender in the NFC as a whole? Yeah, I think they probably are. I, I'm sort of right with you. I think that they're... They, you know, in my mind, they're probably the team to beat this year in the NFC West. Um, you know, they were right there down to Week 17 last year and lost to Seattle. And you give Brad for another year, and now they've added Mike Sims Walker at wide receiver, so he gets another weapon. I, I think they'll be, I think they'll definitely be better. Um, and I think they're the team to beat in the West. I, I do think they're still another year away. I think that you, you know, you still need to talk about kind of building up some parts of that defense and maybe improving the offensive line a little bit and then just letting Bradford continue to develop. So, you know, 2012, 2013, they could definitely be a team to be reckoned with. I think they could be in the playoffs this year, though. 
seems like we've been kind of stuck in the NFC here. What in the AFC? You did mention the Peyton Manning story. Um, interesting to see how they'll be able to function if he's not back there. They did pay, what, $4 million to, to lure Kerry Collins back, which kind of raises some eyebrows. What are some other kind of AFC-centric stories that you're interested in as the season season goes up here? I think it'll be real interesting to see if this is finally the year that the Chargers decide to play in September. Mm-hmm. Um, they've sort of talked about it this off season, and Philip Rivers has, you know, led some players only practices and uh, has really tried to focus on getting them off to a better start since last year. Finally, came back and bit them that they started so terribly and then missed the playoffs. I mean, I think we'll have to see if this is finally the year they turn it on early. So. I'm interested to see that. Um, you know, I, I think everyone's kind of interested to see what the Jets are going to be like. I don't know that they're going to be as good as they think that they are. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see if they uh, are still up there with the Patriots and can still contend in the AFC East and contend in, in that conference, I, you know, especially with Plexigo Burris coming back and how he fits in. Uh, I think that'll be one of the big early storylines, because if that doesn't work out for them, then they've obviously got some some big questions on offense, too. So uh, those are probably the two that jump right out at me. I don't know if you watched much of the game last night, but I kind of noticed that seems like the Giants are on to something. If you blitz Sanchez, seems like having, uh, you know, outside of San Antonio Holmes, their receivers are a little bit slow on the outside, and it seems like if you get a lot of pressure on Sanchez, it's almost like they can't, they're not even finishing their routes. You know, last night it just looked like if you can rush them, that offense really yeah. struggles a bit. Yeah, man, that, was, that wasn't a pretty game. No, it was ugly at both ways, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of been the, the trick to getting Sanchez. You know, teams have tried to do that to Sanchez to get him rattled and you know, I, he's not nearly as effective if he has to move his feet and, you know, kind of run around and try and make something happen. So you combine that with a wide receiving group that doesn't have a lot of game breakers, and you're going to have some trouble. But I think that's why, you know, that's why they went out and got Plaxico because he's a guy that can, kind of, you know, he can stretch the defense and he can make catches and make plays, but he's also a guy that if you're in trouble, you can kind of just expect him to get open or, uh, even make a play if you throw it to him in a one-on-one situation. So I think that they're really counting on him to to be a huge part of that offense, and you can see so far. I mean, he had the touchdown catch right away in that first game that he played, but and between the injuries and just getting back into the league, it's been a slow process for him. So I, I don't think he's there yet, and until he, until he gets there and gets there with Sanchez, it, you know, they might have some issues moving the football through the year. Just switching gears a little bit, uh, the sportscasters are here with Chris Burke from sportsillustrated.com. He's also on Twitter at, is it SI underscore Chris Burke or the opposite of that? Uh, opposite way. Okay, so at Chris Burke underscore SI. We've been, we've been really lucky here to talk to really people from all of the different corners of the SI media realm. We've talked to Don Banks, who concentrates mostly on writing for the website. We've talked to Peter King who concentrates mostly on writing for the magazine. We've talked to just about every football writer you have. And, and now we're talking to you, and you kind of focus your your 
your job is more focused on doing quick hits and, and blogging on the website. What is it you try to accomplish? What is it that you're trying to do every day to round out Sports Illustrated's coverage? What, you know, how is your job different than, let's say, a Peter King or a Don Banks? I think that uh, phrase you just used, is an important one to round things out. That's kind of how they uh, pitched the role to me when they brought me on, and I think that's kind of what I've been trying to do. Is you know that obviously Peter King, Don Banks, those are uh, those guys are behemoths in the NFL world. I mean, uh, you say those names and people immediately recognize them, and um, you know, so they they've created their own little niche and uh, are out there at the practices and at the games, and I I think that. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to bring to the table is just to uh, kind of compliment them, you know, be a little, maybe a little quicker on the trigger with getting some things onto the website and making sure that, uh, you know, SI.com has some presence on uh, bigger stories while those guys can sort of hit the phones and make their calls and uh, get their sources and everything. And, and I think that's, that's kind of how they pitched it to me when I came on. I think that's how it's worked so far. It's just, um, you know, they'll they'll kind of do their thing, and then uh, I, they want me to kind of fill in the gaps behind them. Right. It seems like you've been doing some chats, too. How do you like to do do the web chats and uh, using the technology on the site? Yeah, I love doing the chats. We did some at Fan House when I was there. Um, we've done one with the Audible's blog so far. We're doing another one. Uh, I know for sure next Thursday during the uh, during the opener, the Saints Packers game. So um, I like it because it's it's a it's a nice way to sort of interact. Other than other than Twitter, it gives you a chance to interact with people that are reading your stuff and uh, want to talk football. And it's kind of hard to do that just through, I guess, the comments on stories and things. So uh, it gives you gives you a chance to sort of get in there and get one on one with with the readers of the site, which I, I, I really like it. I hope we can do more of them going forward. Do you kind of approach it? Do you kind of look at it like just having everyone over your house to watch the game on Thursday? Yeah, it, it's uh, it, this will be the first one, obviously, that we've done for SI, so um, it'll be interesting to see how exactly it goes. You know, when we did them at Fan House, I used to do them with um, a couple other guys, specifically Adam Gretz, who's now at CBS as their uh, hockey vlogger, and it was usually him and I, and then a few others would join us um, for chats. And you know, we'd sort of get in there and uh, had our banter, and sort of we're really comfortable with each other. And we've actually never met in person, <laughs> um, so it's uh, it's definitely a different it's definitely a different uh, way of communicating, I guess. And it's fun to get in there. You know, you have you have your regular readers that as soon as they're their name pops up with a question or a comment, you know, you recognize them all to the point where you, you know, want to send them a private message and just say, hey, thanks for, thanks for coming. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it is a little bit, it, it's, it is a little bit like just kind of hanging out with, with your friends and, uh, you know, obviously a different, different way. SI is getting ready to kind of update their iPad app and the magazine, I think, translates incredible to the iPad. I don't know if you've had a, if you have an iPad, if you had a chance to check it out. Do you, do you foresee the Audible's blog having any role in the reformatted version of the iPad app? Would would you like to see 
audibles be a part of that? Yeah, I need to make the jump and buy an iPad. I think that's my next big purchase. But uh, yeah, you would not regret <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd obviously love to be a part of that. I think it um, just sort of the immediacy of the uh, Audible's blog and the different things we can do with it, be it the chats or, you know, throwing up uh, some videos, um, using some screen grabs and breaking down plays. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that we can do on the Audible's blog that you might not be able to do on other spots on the site, and you definitely can't do in the magazine. So, um, I'm hoping that it translates over to the iPad app. I hope they have plans to sort of incorporate incorporate it once they flip the switch on some of those changes. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it would work really well. The Sportscasters here kind of finishing up with Chris Burke from SportsIllustrated.com. His blog is called Audibles. Just uh, mentioned he's going to be doing a live chat during the Saints and Packers game next Thursday. Also, you can find him on Twitter at Chris Burke with an E underscore SI. Anything else we can look forward? Did you have any role in the um, preview issue that's coming out? Um, anything you're looking to do on the Audible's blog, maybe in a little bit of a longer form? Or should we just expect what we've seen, this kind of shorter hits, getting the news up quick, and sharing some links and things like that? Uh, nothing in the magazine yet. I helped out with the online version of the uh, season preview. My NFC North preview is up today, and the NFC West will be up tomorrow. So I'll be uh, helping out with some of those things and uh, season predictions, too, as we get closer to the regular season starting. Um, you know, not not really any anything big planned right now for the Audible's blog. I think that's kind of the beauty of it. We can kind of take things in stride and see what comes up and go from there. So, uh just hoping to build off a little bit of the momentum we've gotten so far and hopefully uh, keep it around for a while. All right. Uh, like I said, it's Audibles. It's part of SI.com. It's, as we said earlier, a great compliment to everything else that SI does. But I think that's even selling it short a little bit um, because there's some really great content there. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be pretty – I'm a Saints fan, so I'll probably be a little bit too intense for a chat next Thursday. <laughs> but uh, – Next time, maybe I'll definitely have to jump in and check it out and uh, come over to your house and watch the game with you. But um, I think next Thursday I might be a little intense. You know, I might need to take a Valium or something before the game. Uh, yeah, it's always harder the first week, do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Built up, uh, built up energy. <laughs> yeah, and, it, you know, it's nice. This is the third time the Saints have played in this game. And, you know, it takes a lot of pressure off of Sunday. And it makes, it makes Sunday a lot easier to just kind of relax and enjoy and flip around and see what everyone's doing. So I do like, you know, I like the fact that Sunday at 1 is wide open for me. But, um, yeah, it's going to be intense. And, you know, the way I look at it, too, is we're supposed to lose this game. I mean, the uh, Super Bowl champion has won this game every single time that they've played it. So if we lose it, so what? We're supposed to lose it anyway, right? And what better way to go? What 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 better way to go into Lambo than that? You yeah, got, you, you, I mean, I'm sure it's easy for you to say now, and uh, you might be feeling different about, <laughs> about that when the game starts. <laughs> you might be right. All right, buddy, we really appreciate the time. Really enjoyed it. I love the blog. Uh, look forward to uh, maybe building a relationship down the road here and having you on again. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, uh, thrilled to be on.
All right, the sportscasters are back here for one last segment today, episode number 39. Got to thank our guests, Kenny Albert and Chris Burke. Kenny Albert, of course, from the NFL on Fox, and Chris Burke from SI.com. His blog is called Audibles. One last piece of business today. Well, actually, before we get to pick four, I wanted to again mention that you're listening to episode 39. Don't be afraid to go back a little bit. Check out episode number 38. 37, 36, as far back as you want to go. And I want to mention we had a problem with our Stitcher feed. Uh, yes. For some reason, all the episodes weren't catching on Stitcher. My, it was my bad. Well, it's fixed now. So if you are a listener who uses Stitcher, you might want to look back and see if you missed anything because... We did three last week and only one was showing up, but it's right. they, all think, should be golden now. Right. What the problem was, it was always only showing up whatever the last podcast was for whatever reason. So any week that we did more than one, only one showed up. I went back through, though, and they should all be fixed now. They should all be fixed. So if you're a Stitcher user, check that out. Another podcast that we did last week that I haven't mentioned yet is we did an athlete spotlight with Anthony Day, who has moved in officially to Yale. And I want to update that story a little bit. Kind of uh, something he's never going to forget for as long as he lives. His first weekend at Yale was highlighted by Hurricane Irene. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. So he was telling me that he was at the hockey house on must have been Saturday night. And he was walking home at 3 o'clock in the morning and the wind was pushing him to his dorm. He said it must have been 60 mile per hour winds. It was raining sideways. He said it was nuts. So that's certainly something he's never going to forget. Seems to be settling in nicely there, so I want to wish him the best and hope he's having fun. So hello, Anthony. Also, I want to remind everybody, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thesportscasters. You can find us on Twitter. We are at sports underscore casters. Don is at Don Like Sports, and I am at Diversity23. You can find our blog. I have a couple blogs that are going to go up this week. I have a 32 Things blog where each thing is going to be one each about each of the 32 NFL teams. Hmm. So kind of an NFL season preview. I've been working on that. I think I'm about 18 teams in. I also mentioned that I was going to finally do I might another. steal that. I might do I might piggyback Go ahead. Yeah, you do that. one that as well. Fun. It'd be fun. Uh, j- they're just short. Like each right, one is right. about a sentence or two about something about that team that struck me during the preseason or the offseason or this coming season. So that blog will be up this week. Also this week, I have a, I'm going to put up a blog. I've been promising since basically since Ty from LionsandWinner.com has been on to do a WrestleMania 3 blog. I think the series we started is called The Greatest Night in WWF History. Yeah. And I'm going to do The Greatest Night in WWF History WrestleMania 3 blog sometime this week as well. So you can look for both of those up on the sportscasters.blogspot.com. Also, our website is www.sports-casters.com. If you go to the info section, you can find all of this. And also, you can email us anytime, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Next week is going to be episode 40 and episode 41. One of the episodes we're going to have on Rob Domofsky and Jeff Duncan. Rob Domofsky, of course, from the Green Bay, Green Bay Post-Gazette. Right. And Jeff Duncan from the New Orleans Times-Picayune. We'll have both of those guys on to preview the Saints and Packers game. And also we're going to have Aaron Nagler from CheeseheadTV.com. And the sportscasters and Cheesehead TV are going to make a little bet on the game. And, Don, that means you're on the side of the Saints. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so look for that next week. And also we're going to have uh, our first of many, I think, Friday episodes 
that are going to focus on the weekend of football. Okay. So Don and I are going to discuss exactly how we're going to do that. I'm sure we'll book a guest or two, and that should debut next week. But at the very least, you will have episode 40 with Jeff Duncan, Rob Domofsky, and Aaron from Cheesehead TV. Real quick. Yeah. We managed not to talk about Madden at all. Yeah, I waited in line last night. Um, I was debating. I was on the fence all day. Was I going to go pick up Madden or wasn't I? And the thing that clinched it for me is that I went on the GameStop website and they said that if you bought a copy of Madden today, mm-hmm. you'd get an extra 30% on your trades. Oh, okay. So I ended up trading in Madden 11, Madden 11 NHL 11, stuff that I'm done with. I think a couple of Wii games in there and ended up getting $50 in trade. Oh. So I bought the new Madden for 11 bucks. I only played it a little bit. I've been working on the show, and obviously you don't get home until after midnight. You know, there's probably 100 people in line. Really? You know, at one GameStop. It's incredible. Does it feel like more than a roster update? And it's a knock on it every year. Is that just another roster update? Well, there was a cool, really cool feature that I liked last year that had the uh, Madden Moments thing. Oh, could, right. And they continued that, which I like. Uh, running has definitely improved this year. It almost seemed like spin hasn't worked for a couple years. <laughs> now you can really feel the running back digging his foot into the turf and making the spin move. So I think the, uh, the, the gameplay has improved. The feel is better. I think ever since the 3D gaming systems or the new generation of gaming, they've had a little bit of trouble perfecting the motions right. and the feel in the guys. And I think they've done the best job so far with this one. Like I said, I've had limited access to it. But I bought it. I'll play it more, and we can talk a little bit more about it next week once I've had it for a week. Yeah, I Maybe actually, you could come over and play a game or two. I haven't played one in a while. Like I've, I've probably played them all every year, but I haven't owned one since. I don't even know one. What was the Sean Alexander one? Oh, that's going back to PS2, I believe, buddy. Yeah, it might be. I haven't. I can't get myself to spend 60 bucks on it every year. Yeah, so trade some shit in. And yeah, I guess I'll have time. to. Uh, pick four. Last piece of business for today. Decent week last week. As a whole, we went five and three. Uh, I went two and two. I had the Saints over the Raiders, forty to twenty. And I was on the right side of the game of the week. The Lions punished the Patriots, thirty-four to ten. CC Sabathia, who I saved for weeks and weeks and weeks for the last week of the pitching thing, did not come through for me. Thanks for nothing, CC. He lost six to four to Oakland. And Drew Brees and Lance Moore were not able to hook up for a touchdown pass because Lance Moore tweaked his hamstring in practice <laughs> and didn't even play in the game. So that one was dead before it started. But Mark Ingram and Pierre Thomas both ran in short touchdown drives, and that was all for Drew Brees' night. Anyhow, Don went 3-1. and one. He was all in with the Brewers last week, and it paid off. They beat the Cubs 5-3 to three in his host choice. His pitcher was Galarado and the Brewers. They beat the Cubs 6-4. And his bold prediction of the Bills scoring 17 points with their first-team offense came true. And I was actually at the game, and the Bills' first-team offense and first-team defense dominated the Jaguars. And without a gift of a somewhat shaky pass interference call that went the Jaguars' way, they might not have gotten any points against the Bills' first-team defense. And Fitzpatrick got out of there quick, didn't even make it to the third quarter. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I think they had seen enough and felt good enough about the way things went and didn't want to risk it. But they did score 17 points. And then the second-teamers came in. And blew it. And, <laughs> and they did blow the game. They ended up winning it in overtime. But... What was good is they got over 20 points, so I was able to get free Subway the next day. Ah, nice. Yeah. I got to say, and uh, sports does make you prone to hyperbole, but I think I am more excited about Marcel Darius than I have ever been about a Buffalo Bill before. Uh, A draft pick, anyway. He is 
he looks like he could be something really special. More excited than Maven. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more excited than Maven because I mean, at least at least he's showing something in preseason. So, right. Uh, I am super excited, and I got to say, I'm very, very thankful that when they saw him on crutches last week, it was just because he got kicked in the shin or something stupid. Right. But, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited about him. And the last thing is you lost the game of the week. You had the Patriots. So you went 3-1. and one. Yeah, Detroit You're, looks for real. They do. You went 62-69. and 69. We went 65-68. and 68. Now, the pitcher thing is out, and the worldwide leader game is back. Uh, this segment was kind of created for football season in a way, and right. I think it's going to work better now that football season is back. With gonna, the spread and We're going to stick with it. All of our games are going to go against the spread. Whatever ESPN.com has up at the time of when we make the picks, we're not going to go back and check and see if it was updated to half a point here or there. One thing I want to add real quick. Uh, we're already getting chirped on Twitter about fantasy football and how we're going down, and I don't know if the uh, listener is basing that our performance in pick four, but we, I actually like to think that we're pretty good at fantasy football. So Yeah, the listeners can't wait to beat us. <laughs> I, well, we have promised them five minutes of airtime if they defeat any of us. That'll be fun. If one of them is the champion of the league, they'll, they'll do three, three things. things with us. So, yeah, the listeners are pumped. That'll be fun. Okay, this week's game of the week is LSU at Oregon. We talked about it a little bit two weeks ago, I believe. Yep, with Stuart Mando. And uh, that's September 3rd, 8 p.m. on ABC. And I think I picked Oregon to be my champion or in the championship game. I can't remember off the top of my head. So if they're going to do that, they better, they better start week one. I will take them. I think they're minus one. So I'll take them minus a point. Yeah, I'm going to take Oregon minus one as well. I think that LSU has all the wrong distractions at all the wrong times right now Right. with this brawl fight and issues with the NCAA and waiting to hear about suspensions and all that needs to be sorted out. But I think what it has done is kind of maybe and maybe not. See, the thing is I don't trust Les Miles to focus the team. He's kind of a goof. I don't trust him. And I'm going to go with Oregon for that reason. I think there's been too many distractions on the LSU side, and I don't trust Les Miles to have the team focused. My host choice this week is the Buffalo Bulls at the Pitt Panthers. Uh, I'm going way off the board to do this one more to more in honor of my sister Emily. My little baby sister is now grown up and in college, and she made the UB cheerleading team. Mm, so I don't think they travel with the team. Uh, so she won't be at Pitt, but she'll be at the home game. So I'll have to go out there and see her. But in honor of Emily making the UB cheerleading team, I will take Buffalo plus 30 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. <laughs> you, got a lot, you got a nice start. Yeah, I got a good start. It feels good to be there with the kickoff and knowing you're winning 30 and, 30 and, a, half and a half to nothing. To nothing yep. My host choice is TCU, minus six and a half over Baylor on Friday, September 2nd at 8 o'clock on ESPN. TCU, the 14th ranked team in the country this year. Baylor not ranked. I'm going to give up the basically a touchdown here. I think that Baylor is going to be a little bit down after the loss of their quarterback. And I think TCU has a chance to be good again this year. I don't like Baylor. It seems like a reasonable spread. So I'm going to take TCU. My worldwide leader pick this week, it's an 8 o'clock game on ESPN on Saturday. It's Boise State at the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, Boise State's giving three, and I will take them. All right, we'll get back to that game in a minute. My worldwide leader pick, I have Oklahoma, number one Oklahoma, minus 24.5 over Tulsa on Saturday, September 3rd at 8 o'clock on FX. 
Uh, really? Yeah, FX counts as a. I didn't know they had. Television yeah, I'm not questioning that. I didn't know they had. I games. think this is what Gus Johnson's going to announce. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so don't quote me on that, but I think Gus will be there. And the number one team in the country is great at home. I think they've only lost there twice in the Bob Stoops era. And Tulsa is not ready for this. No. So Probably I'm going to I'm going to take Oklahoma and expect them to blow out Tulsa at home on FX, Saturday. FX on a quick side note non sports related uh, is slow I don't know if I should even say slowly is quickly becoming my favorite TV network, which really? is weird. Yeah, cuz it used to have it was like kind of a niche network. It uh had like The Shield and uh Rescue Me were kind of the big shows. Right. But now they have uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, The League, uh, Archer, which is a really funny cartoon. Uh, there's more I'm forgetting about, I think. But, yeah, it's slowly becoming my favorite network. But Well, now that OU's on, it will... Yeah, there you go. We'll and you got football bit. now. My bold prediction this week, uh, we've talked somewhat extensively about how meaningless these games will be. I'm going to say... L- Less than or equal to, so three or less touchdowns are going to be thrown by starting quarterbacks this week. So Ooh. 32 starting quarterbacks. Put me to work here. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean starters like I don't mean if Brady doesn't even play the game and the other guy right, plays three quarters. You mean the quarters. legitimate starter for each team. Right, the guy on the depth chart that's number one. Uh, less than three quarterbacks will th- throw TDs this week. Less than three starting quarterbacks. Three or TDs. less? Three or less. Three or less. Okay. I gave myself a little bit of a cushion, but that's – Sounds good. That'll be easier than it sounds to track, though, actually. Because, you know, once you get to three, it's over. Right. <laughs> All right. My bull prediction, number 19, Georgia, over number five, Boise State. I mentioned it's Saturday, 8 o'clock on ESPN. I think Boise State might be a little overrated. And look, at Georgia plays in the SEC, and Boise State doesn't. And the thing about Boise State that's said every year is, well, if Boise State played in this league they'd never go undefeated well i'm going to test that theory and take georgia right away accuscore has boise state winning this game 58.1 percent of the time against the spread i don't even want any of the points so i'm taking no points and i'm taking georgia to beat boise outright this saturday they have boise 58 percent of the time winning you're saying yeah i wonder if that's one of them that zach would say is a good buy on georgia then maybe with the points with the points yeah. right because, I mean, they're still an underdog, but for a game that you're probably getting. And you know what? I should double check. Keep talking real quick. Yeah, but he was talking about in the past when we did uh, the basketball brackets, he would talk about games where the evil computers would come out with the one team on the losing side of the game, but the benefit of betting on the underdog kind of outweighed the risk, which was lesser than you thought. So uh, I wonder if this would be one of them games. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I did want to mention uh, our, our buddy Dave Damashek does a podcast, an awesome podcast, on NFL.com, NFL.com with uh, his co-host Adam Rank. And recently they recorded episode 21. And the guest in that show, on that show, I should say, is AccuScore Zach. That's awesome. So if you've ever heard Zach with Dave – or vice versa, you'll know that it's an awesome combination. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned you look up that podcast on iTunes or NFL.com. And I, I can update it. It's now the, the spread is three and a half, and AccuScore probability is 58.1 that Boise State wins, 48.1 that Georgia wins. 
The over-under is 50 and 50 and a half. Over 50 is coming in 58.6 times. Under is coming in 41.2. They do not have any money line simulations yet. Um, And remember, that's simulating each game 10,000 times. You can find this information if you're an insider at ESPN.com. It's called Pick Center Plus, and it's powered Hmm. by AccuScore, which, of course, is with our friend Zach. We've talked before on a podcast about how it seems like a little behind the scenes here. Every time we record, we... A, a, a siren of some sort, a yeah, fire truck, sirens. a police car. Well, it happened again today, and now it sounds like we also have someone practicing drums nearby. So hopefully we'll, awesome. we're going to have to wind up this episode here. The more noise, the better. Yeah. I mean, it's just great. People, uh, Oh, it sounds like a saw. It might be a guitar. I think there's a band practicing somewhere near the studio, so we're probably oh. going to have to <laughs> wrap this one up. Okay. Well, I guess that's it for today. Make sure you check us out, sportscasters.com. Episode 39. I want to thank Kenny Albert. I want to thank Chris Burke. We'll see you next week. Cue the hip. We're- All right.